as uh, Brian Allers was dancing with his wife, Hannah, she was shot in the head, fatally. She was a full-time housewife and mother, and he says she was amazing at it. She was very active in mom's groups and very active in their daughter's volleyball team. She wasn't too good for anyone. She was beautiful inside and out. A close friend said she was one of the kindest people he had ever met. At age 34, she was one of 58 people who were fatally shot at the Jason Aldean concert. On October 1st, this past Sunday, beginning at 10.08 p.m., and lasting for 11 minutes, gunman Stephen Paddock massacred attendees at this country festival, country music festival. Over 500 people were injured, 58 fatally. This can only be described as pure evil. It has been described as the greatest mass shooting in America. And based on the message Pastor Murray gave yesterday, I would just add two more words. So far. So far. Evil men are waxing worse and worse. As we mourn this great loss of life, a pro-ISIS channel named Las Vegas USA is dedicated to celebrating this attack. They are criticizing President Trump and issuing further threats. There's one graphic they have on this site that shows the image of the president on one side, And on the other side, it says, the so-called President Trump cannot help you survive. You should be scared. A long night is coming upon Americans. Either you submit willingly or be prepared for your men to be slaughtered and your women to be enslaved. So far, ISIS has never claimed responsibility for an attack that hasn't proven later to be true. But it's still up in the air as to whether or not this truly is an attack from ISIS, whether or not what we can agree is our world is a mess. And it is descending rapidly. And all of this began in Genesis. Let's go back there to Genesis 3. And the beginning of our world is here in Genesis 3, verse 17, where Moses writes, And unto Adam God said, Because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. And so not only Adam, but all of his descendants, we have been living in sorrow. And it's getting worse. It's getting acceleratingly worse. In verse 22, 
And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever in this state. Therefore, verse 23, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So because of the violation of the agreement that Adam had with God, he was exiled from the land. He could not stay in the land as a rebel. That this land is uh, predicated on the agreement of obedience and honor of God. So he was exiled. And a flaming sword was there to protect the land from him coming back in. What I want to do today was actually covered in the opening prayer. So I appreciate that from Brother Larry. I really want to talk about how we must work together, that this is a work week, how we must connect to one another, and how collectively we are stronger and we are weak individually. Uh, Brother Jim also in his operatory message spoke of God building a team. And that's very much what I want to focus on today. But I want to, before talking about this, put some context around it. And the context is Israel's story. We must understand the story of Israel. Everything in the Bible happens within the context of the story of Israel. And and Christianity, quote-unquote, has done such a thorough job of kicking Israel to the curb that even in the church of God, we forget the central role of Israel. And so I want to talk about the central role of Israel and then our responsibility in correcting what is happening in this world to, to participate in the rescue mission that God is involved in. I want to acknowledge our musicians. Every time our musicians come up here, I'm in awe. It is something very, very special to have this talent, this ability to praise God with song and in such a way that it inspires all of us. So I want to thank our musicians for doing that. So Moses goes on in the book of Genesis from here in chapter 3 right through to chapter 11, showing the depravity of man in rebellion against God. And just when it looks completely hopeless, he shows us that God then initiates his rescue mission with a man called Abraham. And we see that in Genesis 12. In Genesis 12 and verse 1, Moses writes that the Lord had said unto Abram, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. So Moses shows us that Adam was exiled from the land. And now in this rescue operation, God is going to take Abraham and bring him back to the land. And he's going to make a covenant with the people and and begin this rescue mission from this land. Again, predicated on their obedience. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And notice verse 3. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse him that curses you, 
And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So as much as we're seeing today, all the families of the earth are being cursed. I mean, everybody is being touched by the wickedness of mankind. And God says through this man, all the families of the earth will be blessed. If we go to Exodus 19... In verse 5, we see that this covenant relationship, this blessing, is handed down from Abraham to Israel. And in verse 5 of verse 19, we see Israel established now as a nation. And through Moses, God writes here in verse 5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, always it's predicated on this relationship of obedience, If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. So of all the human beings on the planet, this nation will be set apart and will be a peculiar treasure. For all the earth is mine, so nobody can withstand God's will. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the whole earth is going to see this special nation, this special kingdom that's set aside, and they're going to look to this kingdom for leadership. And through the leadership of this kingdom, all the families of the earth will be blessed, provided they are obedient. These are the words which you shall speak unto the children of Israel. We, we know the story. Israel disobeys, and as a result of that disobedience, Moses shows us that just like Adam, they must be exiled. So because of that disobedience, they are ejected from the land. In fact, God warns them. If you look at Ezekiel 16, these people of God, this special set-aside nation, this kingdom of priests, God declares them so wicked, he actually refers to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. You can imagine just how wicked God's people have become when God himself refers to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. But here in Ezekiel 16, he identifies for us through the prophet Ezekiel, what is the sin of Sodom? Why was Sodom so wicked? Most of us, I think, when we think of Sodom, we think of sodomy, which is where the name comes from. But what really was their wickedness? Here in Ezekiel 16, verse 49, the prophet writes, Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor, And needy. This is the sin of Sodom. They were proud and arrogant and had no mercy on the poor. They exploited the poor. And God says that his people have become like Sodom. So we fast forward in the story 
to 1 Samuel 10. When the nation of Israel receives their first king. A king filled with the Holy Spirit. So that the nation can be led by the Spirit of God. 1 Samuel 10 and verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, King Saul. So the Spirit of the Lord would come upon King Saul. And you shall prophesy with them, and you shall be turned into another man. So here Israel's king was filled with the Spirit and was able to lead Israel with the Holy Spirit. And then we go to 1 Samuel 20. And here we have the kingdom of, of priests, this peculiar nation, this holy nation set aside. Their leader is full of the Spirit, leading them as their king. And then something goes tragically wrong. Look at verse 30 of 1 Samuel. When his son Jonathan acts to protect the anointed future king David, in verse 30 we see Saul's anger was kindled against his own son. His anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of the perverse, rebellious woman, don't I know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own confusion and unto the confusion of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the ground, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Therefore now, send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. Here's a man that received God's Holy Spirit that was in leadership over God's people, and the devil conquered him. The devil took him over. His heart was corrupt. He was full of pride. He didn't have mercy on the poor and the needy. And this is, these are God's own people. And we know the story. The whole nation of Israel, the northern tribes, corrupted themselves. And seeing that, the southern tribes, rather than see what happened to the northern tribes, how they were exiled from the land, Rather than take warning, they themselves corrupted themselves. And so this rescue operation comes to a screeching halt. Man is, mankind is in trouble. Mankind is in rebellion. God sets up through Abraham this nation of kings and priests to rescue mankind. And the very nation of kings and priests that God sets up in his rescue operation, they corrupt themselves. To the point where God says, you're as good as Sodom. Or as filthy as Sodom, I should say. So now what? Where does that leave mankind when God has promised to Abraham that through you, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed? Well, now the mechanism has failed. So how does God now fulfill his promise to Abraham and at the same time keep his word, keep his own law, keep his own covenant, that says, as long as you are obedient, I will establish you as a nation. But if you disobey me, you'll be exiled from the land. They disobeyed, so they're exiled from the land. And yet they need to be in the land and be established as a holy nation in order for all the earth to be blessed. 
So God has to solve this dilemma. He has to be faithful to Abraham, but he also has to be faithful to his covenant. And so he cannot bring Israel into the land if they've broken the covenant. So we now go to Isaiah 41. In Isaiah 41, verse 8, God says, But you, Israel, are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. So, despite their rebellion, God is saying, Israel, you're still my servant. And you are the seed of Abraham, my friend. So this covenant agreement that I have with Abraham will be fulfilled through Israel. How is God going to do this? In verse 14, he says, Fear not, you worm Jacob, and you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So now we're seeing that Israel is going to be purchased. They've gone into slavery, but somebody is going to purchase them back from slavery. Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 and verse 1. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, you people, from far. The Lord has called me from the womb, prophesying now of Jesus Christ. From the bowels of my mother has he made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand has he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver has he hid me, and said unto me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And right here we see and we learn how God solves this dilemma. That he's promised to Abraham that all families of the earth will be blessed through him. And he's promised to Israel, if you obey me, I will establish you in the land as a, as a godly nation, as a priestly nation. But if you disobey me, I will, exi- I will exile you. Okay, so now how does Israel get to come back into the land? We see it right here. God says, you know what? I cannot rely on mankind to follow my, my word faithfully. So Jesus Christ says, I'll do it. I will leave my throne in heaven... And I will descend to earth. I will give up all godliness. And I will become a human being in Israel. I will become an Israelite. And I will fulfill every word of the covenant. And by doing so, I will earn the right to be in the land. And be established in the land as this king-priest nation. At the same time as doing that, Because I have walked faithfully and kept every word of God, and I can now inherit the land, I will not do that. Instead, all of the punishment that you promised that would fall on Israel's head, 
for their disobedience, I will take it. I will take their punishment. Let them have my reward. And so I will redeem them with my blood. And so as, as, as the faithful Israelite is slaughtered, and he is completely innocent of all charges, all of the punishment that God promised he must give Israel, he can now keep his word faithfully because Christ took it on for himself. So now he can redeem Israel and bring them back to the land. What a great God. What a great God. Now look at Luke as the story begins in the Gospel of Luke. I'm sorry, did I, I, didn't leave, I don't want to leave Isaiah 49 yet. Uh, Isaiah 49, he says, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord and my work with my God. So Israel is, continues to be disobedient. And now says the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant. So this is the Isaiahic servant, which we, Isaiah goes on to write about, who must be slaughtered innocently like a lamb to the slaughter, to bring Jacob again to him. So he's going to redeem Jacob. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, verse 6, Is it a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles. So this is how all families of the earth will be blessed. He's going to redeem Israel but he's also going to be a light to the Gentiles so that the Gentiles learn to look to Israel. That you may be my salvation unto the end of the earth. God is faithful and he fulfills his word through Christ. Now we come to the gospel in Luke. Luke chapter 2. And when Christ was circumcised on the eighth day in the temple, we see this, Luke 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He knew the scriptures. And all the prophets spoke of punishment on Israel's head and then a consolation that somehow Israel would be redeemed. And so knowing the scriptures, this faithful man was in the temple praying, worshiping, and looking out for how is God going to comfort Israel? Because he knew that God was going to comfort Israel. Here they're under Roman domination and abuse, and yet he knows God is going to comfort Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So God was going to answer for him, this is how I'm going to comfort Israel. This is how I'm going to redeem Israel. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, that is to have him circumcised, then took he him up in his arms... So this is Simeon now picking up the child Jesus. And he blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. This old man is now happy to die because he has seen the consolation of Israel. 
according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. He quotes Isaiah now. A light to lighten the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, we just read that. And the glory of your people Israel. So it's a twofold purpose. It's to bring glory back to Israel and to bring light to the Gentiles. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of Christ. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, and this is significant, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. So Christ is going to be this polarizing figure in Israel. And who's who in Israel will be revealed. There's going to be the Sodomites in Israel who are full of pride, arrogance, no mercy for the poor. And then there are going to be the repentant in Israel. And Christ is going to identify, the, the very presence of the Messiah is going to separate these two types of Israelites. The rebel from the remnant. He says, behold, in verse 34, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also. So even Mary will have to make a decision as to which side she sits on or stands on, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And Jim spoke about the heart in his offertory. So this Messiah is going to reveal what's in the hearts of men. Look, drop down now to verse 49, where Mary herself prophesies of the Messiah. Verse 49, for he, is, he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Again, we're going to see within Israel who fears God and who is a sodomite, full of arrogance and pride and no mercy for the poor. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Again, this issue of pride in the heart. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. This is a very important prophecy that Mary is seeing through the Holy Spirit that the world is upside down, and the Messiah is going to put it right side up. The mighty are coming down. And the poor and lowly, he's going to exalt. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So Mary receives this prophecy through the Holy Spirit, just as Simeon did. And now Luke unfolds how these prophecies come to pass. Beginning in Luke 4, if we look at Luke 4, this is where Christ successfully defeats the devil. So the devil brings every possible temptation to Christ over a period of 40 days, culminating in three massive attacks, and Christ does not yield at all. Christ conquers the devil at every turn. And then he begins his ministry. And in verse 17, when he comes to Galilee, his hometown, he comes into the temple, and verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the, the scroll, he found the place where it was written, and this is Isaiah 61, 
which uh, Daniel read for us in the scripture reading. So he found Isaiah 61. Of course, it wasn't numbered back then. He just unrolled the scroll and went straight here to reveal that to, to the Jewish community that he is the Isaianic servant. He is the humble servant that has come to redeem Israel. They read over these scriptures. They were looking for the Messiah to come as the mighty warrior king and establish Israel. But what they forgot was how wicked they are. That God cannot bring them into the land in their state of wickedness. So they think they can just come into the land in this filthy state. And they, they read over the prophecies that say there would be a humble servant that would come as a lamb to be slaughtered to purchase them from slavery so that they could come into the land. And so he turned to this, Isianic, this prophecy of the Isianic servant, and he says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So in, in chapter 3, we saw when John the Baptist baptized Christ and the Holy Spirit came down upon him, and then he begins this ministry. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. So remember that Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel showed us the problem with Judah and with Israel as a whole is they are like Sodom. They have wickedness in the heart. And they have arrogance and no mercy for the poor. And so here we have the poor in Israel, the poor in Judah. Not only are they oppressed by the Romans, the Gentiles, they're oppressed by their own people. And yet the servant would come to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And right in the middle of that verse, he, he stops. Because that is all the first coming. The rest now goes into his second coming. And he closed the book, or rolled up the scroll, and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them in the synagogue were fastened upon him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So he was identifying himself as the great God on high who would come down to earth to purchase his enslaved people. Now, Matthew 4 also speaks of this period when Christ defeats the devil. And begins his ministry. And Matthew also quotes Isaiah. Matthew 4 verse 16. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. So Christ is fulfilling these prophecies. So the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he is, he's not preaching to the whole world. He's preaching to Judah. This called out set of people that God wants to establish as a nation of kings and priests. And he's telling them the kingdom of heaven is now here. You need to repent. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, these two men, follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. So now he's beginning to recruit his team. Again, uh, Jim spoke about this need that God has to build a team to do this work. So he's building his team. He calls Andrew and Simon Peter. And right away they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two more brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. So now he has four disciples. He's building his team. He's got four so far. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. So everywhere there's a synagogue, he's teaching them. He is the Isaanic servant, and he's showing them the prophecies of God that are coming to pass. And teaching them to repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's teaching in all their synagogues. And remember, Simeon said, he's going to be a polarizing figure. Through his preaching, he's going to identify the humble in Israel, and he's going to identify the arrogant in Israel. And the arrogant are going to fall, and he's going to raise up the humble. So he's preaching in all their synagogues and preaching the good news to the poor of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So it's necessary for him now to do this healing to fulfill Isaiah 61. So he's showing them this is a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And I am God on earth. So by doing all of these miracles, they can see the scriptures come to pass. In fact, when John doubts... And John says, are you the one or do we look for another? He doesn't answer right away. When, when the disciples come, instead, he immediately starts doing these miracles. Then he sends them back and says, John knows the scriptures. Tell John what you've seen. So John will know that I am the Isaanic servant. So he says here now, he was healing all manner of disease among the people, giving them this foretaste of the kingdom. And his fame went throughout all Syria. So everybody in Syria heard about him and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with different diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them and there followed him great multitudes now notice this he's got four disciples but here in verse 25 great multitudes of people followed him from galilee and from decapolis and from jerusalem and from judea and from beyond jordan so he's famous and people are listening to his preaching, and they're following him. And so far, he's got four disciples. Now, with the four disciples in chapter 5, verse 1, seeing the multitudes. So he's preaching, he's preaching, he's going from synagogue to synagogue, and these great throngs and great crowds are following him. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. So he has now separated himself from the multitude, great multitude following him. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. So what we have here is a picture where there's a separation now. Christ is up on the mountain, and he's set in a particular place with his disciples. Looks like he's got four so far. And then down at the foot of the mountain are all these people who are responsive to his preaching. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them. He's not teaching the multitudes. He taught the multitudes in the synagogues. He has separated himself from the multitude. And he's teaching his disciples. So he turns to his disciples. So on verse 1, 
He, seeing the multitudes, went up into a mountain. He separated himself. And when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught his disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you can almost see him as he's talking to his disciples, and he's looking at all these people who have responded to him. And he says to his disciples, Blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the people who are humble. These are the people who have responded to my preaching. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this remnant of Israel will be blessed. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So these are the people that have been oppressed, not only by the Romans, but by their own Jews, their own fellow uh, Jewish brethren. He's saying they shall be comforted to his disciples. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. He's saying to his disciples, these are the people that I'm going to build the kingdom with. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They heard him preaching in the synagogues, and they want more. He's saying to his disciples, these people are blessed. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So if they truly repent and continue in my teaching, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So again, these are the people who are responding to his preaching. Blessed are they, so he's again pointing to the multitude, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of Israel. It's not the kingdom of the whole world. He's going to restore Israel and establish the kingdom in Israel. And the northern tribes were divorced. So all that's left of the covenant people now is Judah. But through Judah, he's also going to restore Israel. And both Israel and Judah will be established as the kingdom. And so this is the remnant that he's going to begin with. Now, suddenly in verse 11, he takes a sharp right turn. He was just talking about all the multitudes at the bottom of the mountain. Now he turns to his disciples. And he says to his disciples exclusively and specifically, Blessed are you when men revile you. So he was talking about the multitudes. Now he's talking to the disciples. You are my disciples. You're part of my team. You're going to help me preach the kingdom of God. And blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you. So, They're going to persecute them for righteousness sake. But blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted and men say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You're part of my team. You're going to do my work and you're going to be persecuted because evil people are in this world. In fact, evil people are in Judah. Rejoice. Don't be discouraged. You disciples rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So there's a different communication to the disciples. There's communication about the multitudes, but then there's a message to the disciples. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. A dire warning if ever there was one. 
Yes, you're my disciples. Look at the multitudes. I need you to go to work. But if you're not going to work, simply in the face of persecution, if you're going to collapse, if you're going to have a weak heart, if you're going to be a coward, you have no value. I might as well just throw you in the fire. So you work. And just make sure that any persecution against you is done wrongfully. Any accusations against you are false, but you are going to do my work. And if they hate me, they will hate you. It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of man. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. So, God wants his disciples to be visible. He wants their work to be visible. In the face of evil. In the face of persecution. Do not back down. You have work to do. You have truth to declare. Truth is truth. Let the wicked do what the wicked do. We speak truth. And we do not back down. And we give light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that is wicked men, the arrogant, the sodomites who are full of pride and evil, who will persecute you. You let your light so shine before them. That they may see your good works and in time they will have to glorify your father which is in heaven. Now, compare this communication, this fulfillment of prophecy, how Christ is this servant that sees the poor, sees their plight, and preaches good news to them. How Mary said that this man that she has given birth to is going to put the world right side up. And the poor and oppressed are going to be exalted. And the arrogant and exalted are going to be brought down. Let's go to Psalm 72. Psalm 72, from the sweet psalmist David, he writes, Give the king your judgments, O God. Wanting judgment for himself as the king. And your righteousness unto your king's son. Prophesying not of Solomon, but of Christ, the Messiah. He shall judge your people with righteousness and your poor with judgment. The king will have good news for the poor. The mountains shall bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. He shall judge the poor of the people. This is what he was saying to his disciples as all the multitudes were at the bottom of the mountain. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. He shall judge the poor of the people. He shall save the children of the needy. He shall break in pieces the oppressor. This is the good news. This satanic oppression that is functioning through the evil hearts of men will be broken. They shall fear you 
as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. In his days shall the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace so long as the moon endures. And that's part of what we picture here at the Feast of Tabernacles is the abundance of peace. And it's going to flourish. They that dwell, sorry, verse 8. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. And from river unto the ends of the earth. Again, this is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. That all families of the earth will be blessed. The They that dwell, says here in the wilderness, in the desert, they that dwell in the desert shall bow before him. He has enemies that come from the desert. Enemies that persecute his people from the desert. And they're going to bow before him. And his enemies shall lick the dust. Verse 11, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also. Over and over and over, God pays attention to the poor. Why? Because they bear the brunt of government. The poor you'll always have with you. Why? Because men are wicked. Men are always exploiting. And they build, off their, they build their empires off the back of the poor. God is going to break that bondage. He's going to break that oppression. The poor also and him that has no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy. He shall save the souls of the needy. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence. And precious shall be their blood in his sight. So today, their blood means nothing. A beautiful woman can be dancing with her husband and just be shot in the head. Her life means nothing. And human life is reduced to nothing. God values human life, and their blood shall be precious in his sight. And he shall live, and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba, that is, uh, the Yemenites. They're going to bring their gold offerings to God. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains, and the fruit thereof shall shake like Lebanon. And they of the city shall flourish like the grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And the men, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. We know that all nations will keep the feast. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. So the name of Israel is forever. And God will be known as the God of Israel forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. And that's what we're picturing today and through this week. Amen and amen. Look at Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. 
and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So we know this has to be a descendant of David. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We saw that in Luke 3. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor. Again, always this heart for the poor that he has. And reprove with equity for the meek, blessed are the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And when he is established, verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw, just like the ox. And the suckling child shall play in the hole of a snake, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's going to be thorough. This, this is where God reverses what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam. And this, this wickedness that is now covering the whole earth, it's going to be fully reversed. And the whole earth will praise God. The whole earth will acknowledge the God of Israel. But he's going to judge with righteousness. You know, when this massacre happened in Las Vegas on Sunday, almost immediately you heard the cries for gun control. We must have greater gun control, as if that would solve the problem. So, so let's have greater gun control. In fact, let's get rid of all the guns. No more guns. We're going to burn them all. If we don't change the heart, we'll kill each other with hammers, with stones. It, it, the heart has to change. So greater gun control is not the answer. They call for, we need metal detectors in all hotels. Let's do that. These, the, the wickedness of Satan is ingenious. We'll just come up with other ways to destroy each other. But this constant desire to figure out how to control human behavior is the story of mankind. But I came across a really ingenious approach, which is in our future. It's a gentleman who is a guru in the gaming industry. And much like we're having our conference, uh, they have their conferences. And so he's talking to all of these gaming developers about the future. And he's basically telling them that they're missing the mark and that there's a great opportunity for them with their skills outside of the gaming industry. And so I just want to play a couple of minutes of his speech at the gaming conference called DICE.
Okay, so he goes on. I just want you to hear his conclusion now. If we just fast forward to his conclusion. That's his conclusion that, and this is inspiring to them, that by all of this tracking, we will naturally become better people. We'll think to ourselves, you know, I better not watch pornography because my grandchildren will know that I did that. So I'm going to try to be a better person. Or I can just not have children and then do all the filth that I want. And so what they're failing to realize is that this is a problem of the human heart. And all of this digital manipulation, they're trying to do something digitally that can only happen spiritually. It is only the Holy Spirit that can reform our hearts. And so look at Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29 and verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. The wicked don't understand. God God is going to judge with righteousness. And he's looking for a team that will join him, that will also judge with righteousness. If we're going to be part of this team, we have to go to work, not on the outward manifestation, but on the inward heart. We have to purify ourselves inwardly. And that's the only way we can change. Shakespeare in Henry V has a line. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Your royal highnesses, you should be uneasy. You should feel the weight of the burden of leadership. That as we look at this whole world, and we should have a global view, this world needs rescuing. And God is going to do it through a team. And he has invited us to be a part of that team. And Pastor Murray yesterday spoke about protocol. 
protocol. How do we engage one another? Shame on us if we ever speak disrespectfully to one of God's royalty. Shame on us if we ever do anything that is abusive to one of God's royalty. And then claim that we're going to be part of the solution. The solution to this world's problems is in this room. It's in the hearts in this room as we purify ourselves. And this is why when the Canadian ministry came together two years ago, we formulated this vision of the pursuit of excellence and the safest place. That we must pursue the highest of our calling. That we should be able to go anywhere in the world and demonstrate true Christianity with an excellent spirit. And also when we come together, this should be the safest place. So in our home congregations, wherever we worship, people should be able to join us and feel safe. And as we are here together for eight days, everybody here should be able to just let their hair down and feel safe. What a terrible thing it is when you have nowhere that you can call home. What a horrible and tragic thing it is when there's nowhere where you feel safe. This, this is my start in life. We had nowhere safe. All we could do is just watch in horror as my father brutally destroyed my mother in front of our eyes. And all she could do is plead with us that at night when we hear her crying, my brother and, and I in one room, my sisters, two sisters in the other, that we just chant together, leave mom alone, leave mom alone. And then he would come and be angry with us, but at least while he was angry with us, he was not beating up our mother. And we had no place safe. And how that destroys the psyche. And how dare any of us bring that satanic attitude into God's covenant community. Where people can't feel safe. I don't want to go to services. I don't feel safe there. No. You might not be safe in the world. Evil men will wax worse and worse. And all those who desire to live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution out there. But when we come together, we're safe. When we come together, we see, we recognize each other. We see the crown on each other's heads. And we understand the burden of this leadership. That the world has gone mad. And it's going to get worse. All of this is just the beginning of sorrows. People are going to be losing their minds. And we're going to have a place of refuge. We're going to have a place of comfort. And we're going to have a place of development where they can develop the excellence of God's spirit. Brethren, let's conclude. In 2 Samuel, chapter 23. Second Samuel, in chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. Now these are the last words of David, that righteous king, that king that really symbolized Jesus Christ. Now these are the words, the last words of David. 
David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed one, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word, the, the, the creator of the universe, his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me. He that rules over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God. This is the solution. The whole world, the whole creation is groaning and waiting and longing for the reformation of your heart. For the reformation of my heart. When our hearts are reformed and collectively we join Jesus Christ, then we will bring the solution that this world longs for. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown.